So I'm a mental health strategist, uh, emotional wealth coach, gratitude Jedi master. For those who know Star Wars, then you know what that, that reference is for. And um, I was, and I, I say this now, I was a major depression and suicide attempt survivor on multiple occasions. Hello, and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewanfo, and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. And the reason I say I was is that for a long time, I would introduce myself as I'm a major depression and suicide attempt survivor. But then a mindset coach actually helped me out with this and said, you no longer are um, you know, majorly depressed or suicidal or whatnot. So let's let let that go, you know. So that's why I keep saying now I was, I was, and it's very pertinent to the story that I want to share today and how um, the movement that has been born from all this um, adversity, if you'd like, it's very relevant. So this is why I still use this in my introduction. So that being said, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Uh, we've been trying to do this Obehi for some time, so I'm really, really happy that we're finally able uh, to do this right now. And thank, right. You. thank you. Thank you so much, Sophia. All right, let's take some time to know you. So you are in Greece, right? Yes. All yeah. right. Uh, tell me a bit about um, about your childhood. Where, where important in that? That is where we usually start. Tell me, where, where were you born and where did you spend your young adolescence? So I was born in Montreal, Canada. In 1983, I will be turning 40 at the end of this year. And um, I was born in Montreal and my parents were Greek immigrants who moved to Canada in uh, late 60s, early 70s. So I'm of Greek origin, I'd like to say, and I was raised very Greek. <laughs> um, essentially, you know, from Greek school on Saturdays to uh, folkloric dancing for a very long time, to going to church, to just being very present in the Greek community. Um, and I've come to Greece quite a bit over the course of the last 30 years. And I always felt so attached, especially with the island of Crete that I'm currently on. And it was only a matter of time, I think, that I would wind up moving here. And uh, August 1st of 2020, my husband and I moved here amidst the drastic global shift. We, uh, well, we had considered moving six months before, but everything started happening. So we couldn't leave when we wanted but whatever the case may be, here I am living on the island of Crete with my husband, and it was actually his idea to get here. So I almost feel like I manifested this some somehow a long time ago, but it was really not me <laughs> who suggested that we move to Crete. It was my husband who had an idea and said, you know what? No, let's just go. So here we are <laughs> on the island of Crete, and I couldn't, I couldn't be more grateful to be here. Yeah. That's lovely. That's lovely. And sometimes it can be maybe your husband making the move or your wife making the move. Uh... And yeah, sometimes it happens. But at the end of the day, you, you both make the move and you are happy about it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's only three years and we're pretty happy about it. So we're not we're not leaving anytime soon. We <laughs> are very grateful, both very grateful to be alive and to feel alive on this island. Uh, definitely my mental health uh, is the best it's ever been <laughs> by living here. So I couldn't be more grateful for that. Absolutely. That's lovely. So your husband is also from uh, from, from Greece. Yeah, he's born in Montreal, Canada, like I am. Also mm -hmm. the son of uh, Greek immigrants who came to Canada in the early 70s. So mm -hmm. he was also, we were both raised pretty Greek and we met uh, 
18 years ago on the dance floor, like in, he joined the dance group. That, That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't uh, dating from then, but we will be, uh, we just had our six year anniversary recently, uh, our mm -hmm. wedding anniversary. We've been together for 10 years, but we've known each other for almost 20. And I could thank, you know, the Greek community and the Greek dancing uh, scene for that because that's what brought us together the dance floor so yeah he's pretty yeah. good <laughs> that's lovely again congratulations for that you see there are a lot of things to be happy about <laughs> <laughs> so all right now let's look at it this way Sophia so when you were much younger what were you seeing in front of you in terms of what you um, wanted to be how you want to the kind of trajectory that you want to follow you're still now in Canada right so tell me something when I was in Canada, honestly, to to be very honest, I, I did not, when I was growing up, I didn't have this, oh, when I grow up, I want to do this. Or when I grow up, I want to do this. I honestly didn't. Um, at least I have no recollection of having such a memory where like, oh, I want to, you know, be a firefighter or I want to be a doctor or whatever. None of that. Along the way, in my early teens, I heard my dad say something about how I would make a great lawyer. I guess there was something about how I argued and whatnot. And he was like, oh, this one's going to become a lawyer. And so from there, I just adopted this idea that I'm going to become a lawyer. And I continued pursuing this, you know, while in high school and moving into college, everything I chose <laughs> had to do with becoming a lawyer. But then in my first semester of university, uh, I had a severe anxiety attack in the library while I was studying or um, the, at that point I had just finished the midterms and I read the course syllabus for one of the classes and telling me that the final will be cumulative and I would have to, you know, say uh, whatever it is I had learned already up until the midterm plus whatever else we were presented with later in, in the course. The thing is I had learning disabilities and I definitely had issues with my memory and whatnot. So that led me to panic quite a bit because I was able to get by in high school, even cheat, do whatever it took to get to college. But then when I got to college, it was, it was really not an option to do that. So upon having my first anxiety attack and really it getting, you know, progressively worse and developing into a, my first, not even my, a first depressive episode, because it's no longer mine. Once that happened, I had to withdraw from my studies. And as a result of getting help from a psychologist a couple months later, because as I talk about in my new book that I, I recently launched, it wasn't obvious uh, getting me help, you know, especially 20 years ago when that happened, 21 years ago, it was a lot, there was a lot more stigma and taboo around the topic. So there was no way, you know, my father <laughs> was gonna have his daughter see a psychologist. But after a couple months, they realized that I really needed help and support. So when I, after seeing the psychologist and recovering from that first depressive episode, I immediately switched gears and went into psychology for my uh, undergraduate you know, bachelor's degree. So from there, it just seemed like I was aligned with my purpose because everything I've been doing ever since, even if I've tried switching out because I've had a few depressive episodes over time, and every time I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to go back to coaching or counseling because this keeps happening to me. And I, I don't want to leave people hanging anymore, you know, being in the middle of treatment and whatnot. And then suddenly your therapist disappears because then she gets depression. I said, you know, every time I say, I don't want to do this anymore, something keeps happening and it keeps bringing me back on my path. 
to helping people feel lighter, free, and more alive, to coaching them, to consulting them, to just counseling them and helping them overall, guiding them uh, in acquiring emotional wealth and loving themselves. It keeps, you know, things keep happening to bring me back on that path. So I did not know growing up, what did I want to become? But it seemed like this was always my purpose. And I had to experience those things, right, to, to be able to figure it out. So I know I went maybe a little bit on a tangent from childhood to now, but this is what has led to me doing what I'm doing today. That is very important. It looked like what I was saying to, to a guest at one time, that sometimes maybe we just need to pass through certain experience to be able to mature uh, in that if you have never passed through a certain experience, you really cannot speak of it from, uh, from the first person's point of view. Okay, you can still speak because maybe you have read it in a book and you know this is what it is. Uh, yes, I've heard this is what it is. But you really do not know what it is in terms of the experience. But when it has happened to you now and you are speaking from the point of view of what it is, then you know what exactly you are talking about. You can drag it to any angle. You know what because you, you have felt it. You will be there, you know? I've seen you, it all. At this point where mental health is concerned, I've I, yeah, between my training and then my, my, my internships and my volunteering, I've seen, I've seen it all there, but then on my own, having experienced these episodes, having had uh, a stay in a psychiatric ward, um, having had some pretty awful experiences while in there as well, you know, Every time I've come out on the other side, even stronger, more resilient, and even more capable of empathizing with my fellow human beings that are also struggling with their mental health. And I don't want to say that somebody, a therapist or a counselor or a coach who hasn't had uh, a mental health related struggle, you know, won't be able to assist someone. I don't want to say that. What I can confirm, though, is that it's much more fulfilling for me personally when I'm doing this work, given I'm able to empathize at that level. And for the most part, yes, you know, the client or anybody really that I'm talking with or that I'm collaborating with in general, they're able to feel that or sense that, you know, when uh, when I even bring in my story or when I'm able, even able to find the words for things that they're not able to find the words for because I've had the experiences already with this monster, as I like to call depression a monster, really. And my book is called Depression Doesn't Discriminate, a no-holds-barred account of what this monster is really like. So knowing firsthand what this monster is really like and being able to open people's eyes about it, I couldn't be more grateful for all the experience I had, all the experiences with those depressive episodes. Like, I, sure, I matured, but it goes beyond having matured. It, it, it's a really fulfilling sense. I'm really, really grateful. As, as odd as that sounds, I do teach people how to convert adversity into prosperity and learn how to be grateful even for moments where it's been bad moments in their lives, but they're able to pull out the good that has come out over time from those bad moments. So at first people were like, what? I'm like, yes, I'm actually grateful that I've attempted to end my life. As odd as that sounds, I, I am grateful that I understand this at a, at a level that I wish no one really to ever have to understand it at this level, but I'm grateful that I understand it at this level and that I'm able to help open people's eyes you know, as much as possible as a result of these experiences. Thank you for that. So you were saying before that um, at a point you wanted to go to the psychologist for a kind of a control. 
but it looked like uh, it wasn't something of a, a conventional conversation within the community that your mm -hmm. father would really like to hear that something like that but uh, at a point uh, and he, he of course will allow you to go there where actually i'm going in that direction is um because now as a coach because you are no longer uh, a baby now you're no longer a child you have grown up you are mature you are a woman now you are probably uh the one that people look up to for help in this area so they have all sorts of questions you know when you go to meet your teacher you don't okay it depends on the kind of relationship you have with your teacher you don't reserve the question that you want to ask okay like like a doctor for example because if you don't take the doctor what you are where it is paining you you will never be healed from that so it is true that your client in this case the your your students they can ask you any type of question they don't whether you know it or not but they throw it at you you are like a rock now so whatever it is that the body then if they want a solution to that they're going to ask you all right so from this point of view you know, what is really the why are people not openly talking about depression or going to see psychologists or going to talk about that part of us that make us different sometimes, which is our mental health? Tell me mm -hmm. about that. I'm glad you asked this question because recently I was interviewed on another podcast and I brought this up and it was very helpful. Okay. So for some time now, there's been a stigma around mental health. A lot of people can't tell the difference between what it means to have a mental illness and what it means to have great mental health. So for instance, when I had the depression, right, the clinical depression, I was mentally ill in that moment. Right now, I do not have depression. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm very mentally healthy either, right? So when you go to the doctor, you may not get some diagnosis, right? You don't have cancer, okay? That doesn't necessarily mean that you are really physically healthy either, though. So already I wanted to start by making that distinction between mental health and mental illness. You may not have a mental illness. Doesn't mean your mental health is in the greatest shape and it would be worth protecting, right, and taking charge of so that you don't go down the path of burning out and then crossing over the, there's a fine line between burnout and depression. So if you start protecting your mental health and, and learning more about how to achieve emotional wealth beyond just financial wealth, right? And love yourself more and whatnot, then there's no reason for you to end up burning out and crossing over into depression and possibly losing your own life. So that's one distinction that I wanted to make. Another though, from what I noticed, because I no longer call myself a psychotherapist. I have extensive training in psychotherapy, but I don't want to be called a psychotherapist. And the reason being, I noticed over time, I've been doing this now for ooh, 2010, well, 13 years. I noticed how people had a resistance to contacting a psychotherapist or a psychologist because of the word psycho that precedes therapist or psychologist, for example. And really, really, this word comes from the Greek word psyche, your psyche. You maybe you've heard the word psyche, right? That's your soul. But because of words like psychotic and American Psycho, the movie and things like this, people just think that, oh, if I call a psychotherapist, I'm psycho, I'm crazy, I'm not well, I just, you know. So here lies the problem. Mental health. Now that I've moved to Greece, 
I have more and more people wanting to um, see me, you know, to, for my services. But because my Greek is not at par with my English, like I can't coach or teach at the 120% that I give, you know, when I'm speaking English, I usually say, listen, no, I, I don't want to offer my services right now until my Greek improves. And then I said to myself, wait a minute, I don't even know how to say mental health in Greek. Now, for those who may not know from your listeners or whatnot, the grand majority, I mean, a good chunk <laughs> of medical terms and psychological terms derive from Greek words. That being said, if we were to translate this, okay, when I asked what is mental health in Greek, the words were psychiki igia. But psychiki igia translates to soul health. It doesn't translate to mental health. It translates to soul health. And I think if more people heard the words soul health, like I'm taking care of my soul, I'm doing what's best for my soul, I'm nourishing my soul, I'm getting this coach to make sure my soul is, al I'm aligned with what my soul needs right now, I think more people would be open to getting this help. But because it's called mental health, and I don't know where, I don't know, I have, I guess I could research this, but at what point in time was a negative connotation given to the word mental? No idea. But for some reason, there's a negative connotation associated to the word mental. So people sit there like, I'm not mental. I'm, I'm not going to go see a coach. I'm not mental. I'm not. And it's like, whoa, what is that even like? Why did that even have to be negative to begin with? You know, that you need to see someone for your mental health. But besides that, it's not even properly translated. All these other terms in, in medicine and in psychology that are derived from the Greek language. It's fine. They sound exactly the way they're supposed to sound. I know because I do speak Greek well enough to understand. But this particular <laughs> set of words wasn't properly translated. So I mentioned this because I think if people start realizing that ultimately when we're telling you to protect your mental health, we're telling you to listen to what your soul wants, right? And, and live according to what your soul wants. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with living according to what your soul wants. I think more and more people would be open to it. But 21 years ago, when I first had that depressive episode, oh, my daughter's not crazy. Absolutely. She will not be seeing a psychologist. She's not psycho. Why am I going to send my daughter to a psychologist? Right? It was all about being psycho or crazy or whatever. And it's like, I don't know where this came from. But we could change it. I'm not sitting here saying that suddenly I could completely help people forget about the words mental health. <laughs> right? It's, it's been years that it's been conditioned in our mind. I think, you know, we can make active steps towards just saying I'm getting help for my soul health or I'm getting some guidance for my soul health and to just listen to my soul and what it needs right now. This is the realization I had recently as a result of so many Greek people wanting me to coach them and saying, I don't even know how to say mental health in Greek. And once they said that, it was a game changer for me. I was like, wow, 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 wow. I need to start going live about this and start, you know, helping. Since my goal, honestly, I keep saying that the movement I've started, the I'm Alive movement, is about basically, well, preventing people from ever experiencing burnout and depression, but also normalizing the conversation as much as possible. So we could bring hope to humanity, okay? One conversation at a time, one book at a time, one live stream, one podcast at a time. But the hope for me also stands for help open people's eyes. So since my mission is to help open people's eyes, regarding depression, all this. Well, I want to help open people's eyes regarding mental health and how really, really it's your soul health. 
that you would be investing in at this point. And there you have it. Like, again, I think I did answer your question as to why it is people kind of like hold, you know, back and don't get the help. There's some ridiculous stigma that came from, I don't even know where, but clearly it's a language issue for the most part. All I think right. if, yeah. Thank you for that. Now, how do you think maybe we might be able to uh, recreate that, that uh, translation or that definition of mental health so that it can become more of um, of an everyday conversation? Because now we're not looking at we're not only really looking at crazy people. We're just looking at taking care of ourselves uh, in that you are alive. That is why you feel this. If you are not alive, you cannot feel this. No, we mean we are actually talking about life here. We're talking mm -hmm. about you living better. How can we uh, bring it into uh, an everyday conversation in a way that people should not be afraid to talk about mental health? Because at the end of the day, you do feel the the the, the stress that we are talking about. It's, it's not it's not like we are referring to uh, some people that are out of this world. All of us we feel this. We feel this because we are human beings. It's a human nature. Uh, so we shouldn't be afraid to, okay, for example, and some people have a negative connotation to, to death. But I usually say death is part of life. Mm -hmm. So we should some, from time to time talk about death also because it happens to us. If it doesn't happen to us, then there is no need thinking about it. But if you know that if you are a living thing, if you are a human being that at one point you are going to die, if you are not talking about it because you are afraid that uh, maybe if you talk about it suddenly it will happen to you, you are just neglecting what you're supposed to be talking about. Because mm -hmm. you really cannot stop it. It's going to happen anyway. So why don't as well talk about it just like you talk about food, you know? Because sometimes you eat. Mm -hmm. you, you can't say, well, you are not going to, ah, okay, if I don't talk of food now, food will just, no. Not just by talking of food, that food gets into your mouth. So by talking of food, now you come to understand what are the components, what are the things that are good for you in food, so that you know how to take care of yourself yeah. from the kind of food that you eat. So I think other things like uh, health, because I think uh, illness sometimes is just a kind of imbalance of the normal functioning of the body. So if that is what it is, then sometimes let's talk about it. So the question mm -hmm. really is, how can we bring this conversation into an everyday conversation in a way that people should not be afraid to talk about it? It is yeah. normal. It is mm. normal that this thing sometimes happens to us. Uh, well, you know what? Okay, so I'm glad you bring this up because like I said, part of the purpose of the movement that I started is to normalize the conversation. And honestly, very often it's just to start talking because I go live very easily. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why, because my purpose is to help as many people as possible with this. So I think this is why I was granted this gift of having an ease with discussing and writing about, right, all the worst struggles I've had in my life regarding my mental health. A lot of people feel ashamed about it, feel guilty, whatever. Don't talk about it as openly, again, because of the stigma. So I... Gratefully so, I'm able to just sit there and like bring this stuff up. I was actually at the post office earlier today because I signed some of my books and I was sending them out to Canada. And the woman next to me asked me what this was all about. And at some point, I heard her say something about, wouldn't it just be simpler? You know, it feels like death would be very liberating at this point. And I said, whoa. The other post office, the other lady working there said, 
hold on, I think you would benefit from seeing a counselor because that's that's not a very helpful thought. And I just dropped the bomb at that point on her, which for me is easy. But I said, look, I am someone who's attempted suicide on multiple occasions. That is not a very healthy thought to have right now. And, you know, let's have a chat. Let's just talk about this more, right? There's something up here. Let's let's talk about it. But the fact that I said, I have had multiple suicide attempts. They Like, I think the whole post office who heard that, there was about six, seven people, which is like, <gasps> and I was like, it's fine. I give talks about all this. I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to talk about all this. And they were like, oh, so for me, it comes really easy. And I get it. I don't expect everybody who's had a suicide attempt or who's had depression, who's had burnout, who's had severe anxiety attacks to just be able to go live or jump on a podcast with you, right? And just openly, right? It's cool. So you're not able to do that right away. And that's fine. I'm not urging you to do that. But the sooner you share with someone, even if it's a friend, a colleague, or, you know, a family member, whoever, really, the sooner you share with them that you've had such an experience or that lately, you know what, you are feeling a little bit more stressed and you're not feeling like you're really in control of a lot going on in your life and you're feeling a little helpless. The sooner you share that with a friend or anyone, really, the sooner that becomes an opening for them to also share or for them to realize, hey, it's actually okay. We're having coffee here. And so-and-so just decided to, to share with me that they had some pretty negative thoughts the other day, right? The way that the lady at the post office was like, wouldn't death be just be more liberating at this point? I was like, hey, that's a very uh, complex conversation right now to have while we're waiting to pay at the post office. You know, let's let's talk about this more. But more and more, if people just went for coffee and the way if you've gone for coffee with a colleague or a friend or a family member and they just came from the doctor's office and like, oh, you know, the doctor told me I got to lose a few pounds because my blood sugar is pretty high or my cholesterol levels are up. You know, we don't have trouble sharing that when we're having coffee unless we're ashamed of the fact that our cholesterol levels are up, but whatever. Otherwise, we don't really like <gasps> struggle to share that. So at the same time, if you're experiencing, you know, if you're not sleeping well lately and you're just feeling hopeless and you suddenly just tell a friend like honestly I can't see where life is going right now this is just too challenging for me this is overwhelming like I don't know what to do the fact that you did that at that point you're contributing to normalizing the conversation and the more we do that right yeah I know someone might be like oh but I'm vulnerable in that moment well vulnerability as Renee Brown will say is your superpower you actually sharing that will only lead you to connect further with whoever it is you're sharing it with and on the off chance you happen to be judged by the person you share it with, well, then that's not someone you want in your life at that point. Eventually, you will forgive them and eventually they'll become more aware. They'll educate themselves on the topic. But for the most part, people will listen and people will want to help somehow. So even with my book, right, I kept saying, and I even designed it this way, like it's pretty loud, right, on the title. And I did that because I wanted to be on people's coffee tables. Like, let's say somebody walks in your home and, you know, you let them in, but you have to run in. You're still doing something in the kitchen and you're like, I'll be right with you. And they're sitting there in your living room and they're seeing this book on your coffee table. Now, if you've never shared anything with them about possibly having had depression, they might be like, whoa, does Obehi have depression? Like, what's going on? Why does he have this book? But then if they turn it around and it says who the book is for. It says someone who doesn't have any form of depression, yet seeks to understand and cares to listen. Someone who wants to positively contribute to normalizing the conversation around depression in order to save more precious lives. 
right? Someone who cares deeply for someone suffering right now and would like some tips on how to better approach them. So already I was like, can we please make this a coffee table book? Because right there, if you just have this on your coffee table in your home, that's enough to spark a conversation with the person who came over. Even if they came over to talk to you about something else, the mere fact that this is on your coffee table, it looks like this, they would be like, whoa, what's up? What's going on? And then you end up having a conversation. Maybe you're not depressed, but you just bought it because, you know, you want to be supportive of this movement or you want to learn how to better communicate with a friend or a family member who happens to have depression right now. Whatever the case, you like that person sparking the conversation because they saw the book. What a way to start normalizing it. But if you don't have the book on your coffee table, I'm not absolutely saying you absolutely need to buy this book. Why not? You feel people should buy it. <laughs> I mean, I want it, but I'm not like, oh, absolutely. If you don't buy this book, then you can't normalize the conversation. No, you could still normalize the conversation, even if you don't. I would love for this book to wind up on coffee tables worldwide. I, I, I poured out my darkest moments, really, in my life, my biggest struggles in this book to help open people's eyes. It's literally a vivid account. And it says in the disclaimer, this book is certainly not for the faint hearted. And it's filled with triggers. It's, you know, it is for informational purposes only. And it's not intended to diagnose and treat. Okay. But it's a vivid and raw, unfiltered recounting of my personal experiences, including details about attempts to end my own life. And I did that so I could open people's eyes as much as possible so that, you know what? Okay. They feel themselves burning out. They're not going to keep pushing through the burnout. Instead, they'll take some steps <laughs> to reduce their stress, to sleep better to achieve emotional restoration, right? Because a lot of people just think, you know, sleep is enough, but sometimes, right, you need rest in other areas as well. So like digital restoration, <laughs> emotional restoration, there's multiple ways, you know, multiple uh, types of rest that we need. But yeah, I would just love it that people didn't go, don't end up going anywhere near as far as I had to go, get to this point. It really doesn't have to be that way. And I think that's why I'm still around actually. There was really a lot of attempts to end my life. And here I am still today talking about it. The people that are coming to meet you, that you are uh, helping within your field, within your area, what are they thinking? What are they complaining about? I'm trying to understand what is their preoccupation? Honestly, a lot of people who come my way, well, to start at first because of my history with uh, having experienced these depressive episodes, very often there will be people who come to me who are experiencing depression or who suspect that this is what they're this is what's happening. Then I will have people who, in essence, want to feel lighter. This is what I talk about. I help people feel lighter. So people who are walking around with a lot of anger, resentment, right, heaviness inside, and know there's just something not right here, right? Like they're they're having a hard time moving forward. They can't quite put their finger on it. They do recognize that they're not sleeping well and they're like, oh, what's up? What does this mean? You know, uh, there's people that are presently right now, I would say for my clients, people who recognize that there's certain patterns they keep repeating in their relationships and whatnot. You know, people who are recognizing that perhaps they don't, it's not always obvious, right? To people to know that it's a lack of self-love, but because I talk a lot about this, right? They're recognizing that, you know what, I don't think I do love myself authentically because I'm consistently doing everything for everyone else, <laughs> as opposed to checking in with what I need and what my soul needs, basically, right? So most of the people who come to me are either like really stressed out and are tired of feeling this way, 
because my Instagram handle even is be alive, feel alive. My hashtag is it's 316 and I'm alive. <laughs> it's called the I'm alive movement. <laughs> People have seen how I've been in such a, you know, horrible state <laughs> when I was experiencing those depressive episodes. And then they see me loving life right now and wondering what are they missing here? And, and you know, what can they do to also feel as alive? Because I keep talking about how fulfilled I feel and how alive I feel. And it goes beyond because I live on this island, right? So a lot of people will come to me when they're recognizing that they're not feeling alive. They're walking around, you know, they exist. They're alive, but they're not feeling alive, right? So that's typically um, the people who will come see me, right? That like are recognizing that their productivity is not where they'd like it to be, right? So they don't have like a severe mental health related issue here, but at the same time, based on the way they speak to themselves, right? There's the, the doubt creeps in a lot and they don't know why doubt keeps creeping up a lot because at the same time they, they have achieved so much and they're recognizing that somewhere there's something that's pulling them back from moving the needle forward, right? So, I mean, there are multiple reasons really why someone would come see me. Like I help people as well with grief, help people with, you know, uh, career counseling. Like there's a lot of areas that I've tackled over the years in the, the 13 years of, of doing this, uh, especially for years, I was an anger management counselor. And I hate the word management associated to anger because a lot of people assume that that means like you're severely aggressive and that, that, you know, only somebody who's like court mandated and really aggressive goes to anger management. But really, really, the whole planet would benefit from what I teach when I would run those anger management groups right? Or even in my course, everybody would benefit from learning what the surprising purpose of anger is, like what's really going on when I'm angry and being grateful for the fact that anger came along because it's trying to tell me something and teach me how to meet my needs and all these things. So um, for the most part, I think I would say again, people who are burning out, people who are just have had enough, right? This is, this is I would say, primarily the people who uh, who seek me out. So I could go from helping the person that is struggling with you know their mental health at a more severe level uh, given all the training I have but at the same time it doesn't have to be someone struggling it could just be someone wanting to achieve more success but hitting a rock you know like sorry hitting a wall and and <laughs> not being able to quite figure it out because they're just so tired and they're not actually appreciating what they've accomplished so far right and and uh, they're not really loving themselves authentically to be able to move forward at a healthy level in their business or in their careers or whatnot so again multiple ways of you know um, I am given the experience I have I don't like niching down specifically because I have seen so many people over the years from, from so many walks of life and for so many different reasons that uh, this is what it comes down to. You can come to me for this or you could come to me for that. And I could help you just as much for either. <laughs> I agree with you, uh, especially when it comes to that uh, niching down, uh, because I, I do say a couple of, uh, for a couple of reasons that, yeah, it is good that we niche down. Or, yeah, yeah, they usually say money is in the niche. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. But uh, I don't want it to do, I don't want us to do this blindly, blindly, you know? We need to understand that we are complex as human, as entity. So we should be, we should have a lot of um, depth in who we are and what we do. It doesn't mean that um, just because we want to niche down, uh, we should abandon every other thing. You know? I understand you can't serve everybody. That is understood. That is clear. But 
you also uh, should be able to do a couple of things, not just one thing. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you can sing, it doesn't mean you cannot write anymore. Just because you want to be a better singer, mm-hmm. you cannot write. No, if you want yeah. to write, you can still write. No, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean if you want to go running, you cannot run anymore because now you are singing, you're also writing. No, it's a question at the end of the day of how you distribute your strength. Go as much as your strength can take you. And of mm-hmm. course, as much value you can get out of it and be of service uh, to humanity. Mm-hmm. All right. That is, by the way, um, what is depression? Help us to understand that. Honestly, <laughs> it's a monster. <laughs> That's the best way I could put it. I literally refer to it as a monster every time. Because honestly, you know, to call it an illness, I think doesn't even suffice. Because the fact that this illness can go as far as convince me, and again, there's different levels, right? So not everyone necessarily experiences depression at this level that I'm about to describe. But for some reason, regarding my purpose, I guess, I had to experience it every time at a very major level, okay? With delusions and quite a few things. So whatever the case may be, when I say it's more than an illness, it's because knowing that I had something consistently convincing me that my family or friends would be better off without me, at that point, I think it's monster level. People often mistaken and judge folks that have died by suicide by calling them selfish. Meanwhile, if they read my book, they'll know that it's quite the opposite. We have this monster convincing us that um, no, people would be better off and that I'm actually selfish by staying alive and burning, burdening those around me that love me. So yeah, having something consistently working against you and on the one end, not wanting to see people and isolating yourself And on the other end, deeply craving love, right? To me, that's more than an illness at that point. So now, again, not everybody experiences that at level. And I really wish for no one to ever have to experience it at that level. But even at a a less major level, for lack of a better way of putting it right now. I've heard someone refer to it as needing, and I think I could quote him here at this point, Jim Carrey has referred to it as needing our body needing deep rest, right? Because we've put on this persona, we're not really being authentic. And at some point our body just gives, you know, gives up, gives out really for constantly faking and doing something that doesn't align with our soul. So that's one way of looking at it. At that point, your body just goes into deep rest until you figure out what your soul really needs. You can't go any further anymore like this. And I appreciate it ever since, like I I heard him say that on multiple videos, really. I I appreciate that he put it out this way because really I keep telling people that so as long as we don't live aligned with our needs, right? That disequilibrium is what creates high levels of stress and then anxiety and anger and then depression. So on the same token, I'm calling it a monster. 
But at the same time, not many people are ready to hear this. This is an unpopular opinion. It's a blessing in disguise. Because ultimately, it took this for you to finally wake up and listen to what your soul really needs instead of continuing this false persona, as Jim Carrey put it. So I don't know if I fully answered your question because I could sit there and give you the medical definition of what depression is that you could easily Google, right? <laughs> that has this, this, and this symptoms, which I talk about in the book. I actually make it easy for people to be able to identify it, like a given acronym that's used in my field so that you could be able to be like, oh, you know, I am experiencing this lately. I am experiencing this. Yeah, I have been feeling this in these last two weeks. Okay, I might be experiencing depression. No need to get scared right now. There's tons of help out there. Of course, it would be great that you land on the right help because, you know, there's often uh, misguidance anyway in the field. And I could say that I have been on the brunt end of that experience as well with the episodes that I've had. But whatever the case may be, it really is a, a misalignment that can sometimes <laughs> go in a very nasty direction like it has for me. But the grand majority, I shouldn't say grand majority, a good chunk of people, at least that I know, who have had depression had not reached that level, right? But it doesn't mean the level that they were at was pleasant to live with either, right? It's what I call unnecessary suffering. And all of this, this not listening to our needs and 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 catastrophizing things in our mind and, and, and comparing ourselves to people and therefore increasing our anxiety or our self-loathing. All of this is unnecessary suffering. The pressure, putting ourselves down, constantly, you know, being in a rat race, trying to do more. Unnecessary suffering, right? Harboring resentment, anger, guilt, all of these things. Unnecessary suffering. Suffering is part of the human existence. We cannot avoid it. Unnecessary suffering, though, doesn't have to be part of the human existence. And we could avoid it. Provided we learn how to, because we also were never taught really in school anywhere, really how to listen to my needs, how to take steps, what the need really means for me. How can I take these steps to start meeting my needs so that my soul is more in alignment? How could I let go of anger that's not serving me? What could I do to, you know, boost my own self-esteem and not rely on someone else, right? Like, what can I do to more effectively communicate without feeling guilty when I'm communicating what I really need right now? None of this was taught to us, unfortunately. At the same time, <laughs> fortunately, there is a course out there because I've put it together <laughs> from all my years. I found myself repeating a lot of, you know, we, we make the sessions as unique as possible, of course, you know, having to do with the person that's in front of us. But there was a lot of common threads along the way where I found myself repeating certain things regarding our inner critic regarding our needs that are not met, regarding anger that we're harboring, regarding communicating. There's a lot of stuff I kept repeating over time. And from the groups that I ran in rehabs, I was like, I need to put a course together, honestly, and put it out there. And hopefully one day this course will be like in the education system, like in a curriculum, you know, worldwide where people, students could learn this stuff from early on, right? Rather than continue uh, with unnecessary suffering into adulthood and possibly for the majority of their lives, right? So I've put a course together and I mean, I would love it. <laughs> I would love it if the whole planet just 
even people who believe that they're at their top mentally healthiest right now because they've done a lot of, let's say, mindset work, I'm pretty sure they would even still benefit from this course because there's just too many things that we were not taught. We are here because we have something to contribute to humanity. So we really should be out there doing this. It is important. Uh, but I have a curiosity. Um, is it only human beings that feel uh, this depression or do we have a way of knowing if um, other life that we are co-sharing experience also feel it? I don't know, maybe like the rat, uh, like the spider. Uh, I'm trying to see, is it, is it a construct of us as human beings to feel depression or is it a normal cycle of life? Do we also see maybe dog? Okay, dog. Dog is influenced by human being because we are we 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 we, are, we force the dog to live with us, so we give you what you want to eat. So that okay, we also transmit what we feed. But like the bears that don't live among our circle, if we look at life in general, is it that depression is part of life or is part of the human life? What do you want to say about that? Honestly. <laughs> I have a, a spiritual healer who once told me that depression didn't even belong to this dimension. And this is why we who have experienced it have such a hard time helping someone who hasn't experienced it understand it. So for example, even writing this book, even though I gave so much vivid detail to really paint the picture of how bad it gets, okay? First, it starts off with first chapter, first suicide attempt. It's all in there. Even though I did that, I still struggled to find the words to get someone who has not ever experienced this to understand what happened there. No matter what I say, I can't actually find the words. There's nothing I could possibly, if you've never experienced this, there's nothing, I'm feeling an echo, sorry. So there's nothing I could tell you that will allow you to really understand this unless you live with yourself because if someone hasn't lived with it it doesn't matter what i say your mind you can't envision all the things that i'm going to describe in here you're going to be like whoa that's heavy but i'm still not finding words for you to really get it only if you've lived it at this level can you get it right so when the person said it's because, well, we can't find the words because it's from another dimension. It doesn't belong to this dimension. Even though I couldn't fully understand it at the time, and I know that could sound like a very woo-woo concept to a lot of people, I really believe it. It really resonated with me. And so going back to your question of, like, is it part of life? Um, I don't think it has to be. <laughs> and if it is, maybe not, you know, part of this life right now. It's It's from somewhere else. And it doesn't have to be this way. But if you don't take the steps to work towards acquiring emotional wealth and to loving yourself, right? And protecting your mental health or your soul health. If you don't take steps, then you're inviting it in from whatever dimension it's from. It's like, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're inviting it in at that point. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to invite it in. Given like people like me are educating you on the topic. You don't necessarily have to go through this. Not every single human being will experience depression, Right. Even though some are like, oh, there's more than the one in four that they'll say worldwide. Mm. I don't think every single being will or has to experience it. We just don't know who will. And that's why the title is called Depression Doesn't Discriminate. It could happen to anyone, no matter your age, race, sex, gender, religion, occupation, financial status. 
it could happen to anyone. So all I can do is encourage people to do more towards building emotional wealth so that they don't invite it in. All right. Thank you for that. You see, that question was coming from the background that sometimes we do need to learn from nature because we are part of nature. Uh, if something is, um, is, uh, is natural, then okay so that there's little we can do about that like sometimes you do feel hungry you can't stop yourself from feeling hungry because it's just part of life no uh sometimes some sickness are also part of it but if there are things that we can uh, avoid then we need to avoid it and to also learn from mother nature we understand that nature have a way of regenerating itself mm -hmm. therefore if uh, uh, we can tap into nature sometimes we are also able to regenerate ourselves because we are part of the process so I'm trying to see now if there is a way we can sort of liaise with who we already are naturally, which is natural entity, to reduce the severity we have uh, about depression. I don't know, like visiting nature often, like getting out and having a walk in nature, you know, things like that. I'm trying to see if there is any way that can contribute to reducing uh, the depression that is that have become... Uh, very hard for a lot of people. What do you have to say about that? Honestly, the more we're in nature, the better. <laughs> okay, the more we reconnect with nature, it's been proven time and time again. And you know what? Rates of depression are not as high in every single country in the world as they are in North America, for example. I can't speak for the European statistics. I've been in, Mont in, in North America for the majority of my life up until three years ago. Um, and I can vouch that it's really not as bad in every part of the world. So modern life, right, modern life, modern society has created an epidemic of depression, really, given how things are structured, given how people are boxed in, given how people don't get out in nature. You know, people are sitting there and paying, you know, thousands of dollars, which is, is worth really, you know, in terms of investing in your mental health and your, your soul health. But they're doing it to do things that in other countries is just, common sense and easily available. So the more you're in nature, yeah, the better. But people are not really getting out in nature the way society, modern day society has been structured. And in terms of what like somebody's work life looks like and, and the time it takes to commute and the stress and the pressures and all the extra crap, to be quite honest, that's you know going on in the last few years. Life's, at least in North America, it's not designed in a way where, yeah, I'll just go out in nature. Instead, I'll pay a lot of money for some retreat to go out in nature maybe six days in an entire year. Uh, hi. In other parts of the world, people are just walking out in nature. They're taking a break. They're, they're, they're pausing and recognizing there's more to life and being mindful about the good things that they already have in their life as opposed to continuously chasing the things that they don't have in their life. So... Some people are more fortunate just from where they, you know, I mean, you could say that for a lot of things, but regarding the odds of experiencing burnout and depression, some people are just more fortunate from the country that they live in, uh, given how things are structured and their access to nature or even the promotion really of being in nature or just taking a break and breathing. Some people are in certain countries where that is practiced way more from birth even 
<laughs> right? So here we are in, in Western society, in North America, especially trying to bring that in from the other side of the world and gradually and wow, it's like, whoa, why did it even have to get to this point anyway to begin with? But that's what that's what has happened over the years. So it's, it's sort it's, of uh, a kind of um, imbalance in the society that oh. is leading to that. Uh, that, okay, I'm, I'm thinking now that also because we can go back in history. The reason we study history is so that we can learn uh, from the length from what has passed and sort of we don't repeat what is wrong and then do maybe more of what is right so that the society can be right. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking of nature because if it is something that is natural, we can look at nature and learn from it, you no? Know, because nature is an open book. We can read it for those who want to, you no? Know? Because we can also pretend not to and then just pretend that it's not there. And then we can also look at different societies in the world where human beings are living and cohabiting with other animals and living in nature as it were. And to see uh, what is the extent of depression in those societies. Because like you pointed out, uh, it is high in, in the Western society. I'm trying to see if we have any data to back up that maybe what we are suffering from, from high depression. Okay, mental health have been here for forever, no? But this type of depression that we are having today, if it is part of the construct of our modern society, or if it is something that we can confidently say, no, 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 it's just part of the system. It has always been like this forever. Oh, that no. is where I'm trying to go from. I personally think it is a construct, construct of modern society. I really do. I really don't think it was always like this. Um, and sure, if people look back, it's hard to find statistics and things like this because not everybody spoke about this or there wasn't, you know, labels for this. But really... <laughs> I mean, we can get into this conversation and, and take it in very many different directions, but even in terms of the labels, right? The label of depression or any other, you know, mental health related issue that there's a label for, that there's a medication for or whatnot. Even this book that was created way back when with all these labels in it, there's someone behind that who's really profiting from all this, okay? So there is definitely certain companies, and I'm not going to drop any names here, but there's definitely certain companies who contributed. I mean, you could Google this, really. There's certainly certain companies that have contributed to the creation of that book that has all these diagnoses, okay? And really, really, what I like is someone I've met on LinkedIn a couple months ago that I, I really admire the work that he does and how he approaches helping people with this, right? He also, and I'm plugging this in right now, he also has written a book that's coming out soon. And he says, you're not depressed, you're unfinished. And I love that because it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Really, really, you just haven't been listening to your needs and to what your soul wants. But somewhere in all this, there's a label that's been put on there. <laughs> right, by someone that is profiting again from there being tons of medication out there that's really not teaching you much, that's just healing you, not even healing you, treating you, but not really healing you, because you could take the meds and six months later be okay, right, and not experience the symptoms and be able to sleep again and not be crying and not be anxious and great, 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 but if you haven't actually figured out what it is that you needed to begin with that led to this, going to happen again so this is what i mean by that is helpful to treat but not to help you heal really truly and for your soul to heal going back to soul health right so i do very much believe that um 
it's a construct, you know, that it's come from the way things have uh, played out over time. And um, it's definitely not like this in every part of the world. And honestly, there are people in countries who have significantly less. And they're really not experiencing this. All right. That is fair enough. So we can move on. But even the, the idea of uh, treatment and healing too, that is uh, maybe part of the conversation. Because, uh, okay, here in the West, um, we are used to uh, treating a specific part of the human body. Uh, whereas in some other part, maybe like, for example, like in African uh, traditional system of healing, you don't really treat a specific part of the human body because um, everything is part of everything. If, if maybe where you are feeling pain is the eyes, but that is perhaps that is not even the problem. The problem is probably coming from somewhere because if you are treating just the eyes, perhaps you are treating the manifestation. Mm -hmm. But the manifestation is not the problem. It's only manifesting. If you don't treat the real thing, if you treat the eyes, the problem will come out in the ear. If you treat the ear, then it goes to, no, to the nose mm -hmm. because you haven't really healed the part. But if you hear the entire human body, then it doesn't come out in the eyes anymore because it has been resolved. Anyway, that is just by the way. Tell me about the book. The, sort of the central message. How can people get it? Well, the book is available worldwide um, for the most part on Amazon. So I say for the most part because I realized recently that it wasn't on the on Amazon in the Middle East, and I'm working towards uh, fixing that. They have different uh, approval um, and ISBNs and stuff, but for the most part, worldwide on Amazon at the present time. And so the book, at first, like I said, a lot of people just assume that it's from people that have depression. And really, really, I wrote it for people who don't have depression. Now, someone who may have depression and is reading this, uh, like there's a disclaimer, there are triggers, right? Depending what level of depression someone's in and whatnot, this could be very triggering. At the same time, it could offer a lot of encouragement and hope because here I am and I've come out on the other side on multiple occasions. And on March 16th, 316, third month, 16th day of 2011, I first attempted to end my life. 12 years later on the very same day, this past March 16th, my book went live worldwide. So anything's possible. That is powerful. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? If you can see my shirt, it says keep going, right? It's 316numberlive.com. Keep going. That's This book could help people who need that message. But for the most part, it's really for people who have never experienced this and just really want to know more so that they could be more human, really, to their colleague, to their friend, to their family member, you know, understand more, contribute to normalizing the conversation so that one day, well, we don't even need to normalize it anymore. People are just actively talking about this, getting the help that they need, taking active steps to prevent their mental health the way a lot of people may take active steps to become more physically fit to prevent diabetes, for example. Okay, well, now let me take active steps to prevent burnout and depression. Now that I know what's out there that could really help me. And sometimes it doesn't even have to take more than 1% of our day in terms of what we do, which is 15 minutes to work towards protecting our mental health. So there are tips in the book. There's my story for sure, very vividly. <laughs> um, it's there to open your eyes 
It's there to help you contribute to the movement and help open other people's eyes, right, as a result. And someone who first read this, the draft, who had lost her father and her ex-husband to suicide. So she experienced growing up without her father due to suicide. And then her, she had to raise her daughter having lost, you know, her ex-husband, her daughter's father to suicide. And when she read this book, she's the one who told me to add the extra bullet here that says that this memoir is also recommended for someone who is living with guilt or regret from the loss of a loved one lost to depression or suicide. Basically, she said that this actually brought her some form of clarity and closure. And I can't guarantee that it will do that for every single person who's lost someone to suicide. But if it does it for even just one more person, and I feel like mission accomplished, because bringing you clarity and closure, is it's, it's pretty intense where this is concerned. So again, people could go to Amazon or they can go depressiondoesn'tdiscriminate.com, right? So depression doesn't discriminate, all one word, .com. It'll bring them to my site and whatnot. And um, they could even go to alive316.com because it's the I Am Alive movement. And I know I didn't talk much about 316, which is huge <laughs> for this movement and whatnot, but we talk about it in the book. Um, they can go there and see whatever else I, I do and offer. But I do want to make sure that people from today, from the moment that they hear this podcast, start taking active steps towards loving themselves authentically and to protecting their mental health. If people go to selflovesaveslives.com, so selflovesaveslives.com, they can download my I Dare You to Love Yourself ebook for free and watch clips on there and strategies on how do they could take these steps right now for themselves or even to share it with a loved one. So... These are the ways people can reach me, the book, you know, find the book, start the process of protecting their mental health because they matter, right? Whoever's listening right now, you matter. It yeah. Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Sophia. Now, uh, in, in one or two minutes, what would be your final thought here in, in one or two minutes to conclude the conversation? Life is too short to be and feel anything else but alive. And I urge you to start loving yourself like your life depends on it because, because it does it thank you so much sister i appreciate that that has really been very lovely and powerful thank you thank you for having me over here this was great and i'm really grateful that i was able to share my story with you here and with your listeners so really thank you for being you and for inviting me on here Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehe podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehe everyone for. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.